Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Art Inside the Craft podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Glazier. I absolutely love all aspects of music and the arts, and I'm constantly looking for new ways to improve what I do by interviewing musicians and artists. This podcast will be an extension of my video series, The Art Inside the Craft, and I have a number of amazing interviews done and ready to be put out. This is episode number one, and I wanted to kick things off with a bang. I did an interview with director, writer, producer, and one hell of a drummer, Scott Rosenbaum. His documentary, Sidemen, The Long Road to Glory, is the story of three incredible musicians, Pine Top Perkins, Willie Big Eyes Smith, and Hubert Sumlin. Those guys backed up blues legends Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and have influenced everyone from Jimi Hendrix to Bonnie Raitt. Let's listen in on that interview now. See, I was a, a backer of the Sidemen film, um, mm-hmm. so that's kind of how I got um, uh, kind of sure. into you in the in the film. Um, I'm a huge uh, blues fan. You know, I'm only four hours uh, west of Chicago, so yep, uh, sure. I've kind of grown up with a lot of those influences. On that note, I mean, to people like you, uh, the fact that you believed in the project, you and all the other Kickstarter backers, it, it was essential. I mean... And quite frankly, amazing in its <laughs> the way it felt like such a marathon at that point. I mean, we had already been in South by Southwest and started to get some really positive reviews. The film was done, but we still had raised enough money to um, clear all the music in the clips. Oh, yeah. And we were hoping, uh, and it didn't turn out that way, that we would make a sale at South by Southwest and that would be enough to cover that that bill and you know all things would be equal but you know best laid plans and you know certainly the the naivete of a independent filmmaker it, it doesn't always work out that way so really at that point the last resort was to um to turn to kickstarter i didn't really want to do it it was you know a lot of work after having just made the film but you know it couldn't stop until it was done and, and thankfully people like you all uh, stepped up and contributed and allowed it to happen yeah. otherwise it, it would still be sitting on my uh floor here on a hard drive yeah that's awesome that it got done and then as soon as i saw that popped up and i contributed i just like just check it almost daily or weekly to see if it was hitting the goal if people were going there because you know it's just such an incredible an incredible film that had to be seen so <laughs> yeah you know it was if it wasn't for those guys i never would have done that i mean i i really felt funny having to do the kickstarter thing and having you know not only to do, put it up but to like be the one asking and making videos that really not my my <laughs> strong suit and not really my comfort zone i didn't want to do it but i just knew that if that didn't happen this film was not going to happen and oh. uh just couldn't let that be the case so i'm i'm really grateful to all the, the folks that, that did step up and contribute and it's, you know, for me as somebody outside the business, it's cool to, um, to be able to help. And then, you know, like you take a lot of pride in that. Like sure. <laughs> every time I talk, sure, about, that was... every time I talk yeah. about the film, I say, I was a supporter. So I got the film. If you want to see it, come over, we'll watch it. You know, I'll let you borrow it. You can check it out. Just that's the nice thing about <laughs> the, the crowdfunding is there's then all of a sudden in this case, over 2000 people that can, you know, take ownership 
of this film that if they didn't participate it wouldn't exist and you know it they're every bit as important and uh, it's a great thing to have a kind of a shared experience on that scale mm-hmm. of something like this it's pretty unique yeah and, you know i've met i've met so many uh backers you know at festivals or screenings and it's it's always the same thing it's just a gratifying experience on both ends mm. yeah and it's cool it's cool too because you can um when you see something uh, that you're really interested in, instead of it, you know, like you say, if if that hadn't happened, it'd just be sitting in your hard drive. And um, for me, that loves the blues and music, to be able to say, you know, this got out. <laughs> Everybody needs to see it. Is it's a huge thing. So yeah, I appreciate awesome. that too. Yeah. Um, so you're uh, you're actually in a band now, are you? I am. It's it's quite funny. Um, I played drums uh, much like you described since I was 13, so 14, so it's 35 plus years, yeah. you know, just mucking around just because I love the music, garage band stuff and bands in college and that kind of thing. And then, you know, married kids, you know, house in the suburbs, I really didn't have many bands. I couldn't find guys around me. It was mm. so strange for, for years and years. And, I mean, my drums went you know, unplayed for years at a time. Yeah. And then just recently, as a result of this film, I was introduced to a guy that used to uh, manage Hubert. Oh, nice. Years and years ago. And he actually lived two towns over from me. It was crazy. It was just by the release of Sidemen that uh, a mutual friend said, hey, you know, you should meet this guy. And he had a band that needed a drummer. It was the craziest thing, like two wow. years ago, a little less than two years ago. And I just fit right in and I got, you know, bunch of great new friends guys who like the blues and um and a band which you know a local band everyone's close by like wow. it's it's amazing you know yeah. so uh yeah we've been we've been jamming on a bunch of stuff and and uh just have that hubert connection and hear all these different stories from like a different time in his life and comparing notes it's been interesting um and also in preparation for this um i went back and just rewatched uh, the perfect age of rock and roll oh wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which i remember seeing you know when it came out um did you really yeah i actually did i, I have to admit that's it's such a painful uh, an amazing and painful thing because the the critical reception of that film was so harsh oh. that no one really saw it. And the few people that I know that I've run into that see it or reached out online really love it. And yeah. it's just, uh, it's a shame. But yeah. As a music lover, in I mean, anything with music, I would just devour it. And I have since I was a kid, you know, so... Uh, yeah. I did remember it, but I was like, man, I got to rewatch that. So I just did last night. Um, wow, I appreciate that. It's, it's <laughs> funny. I, I hadn't, just because it has let, left a sour taste in my mouth, I hadn't really watched it or seen anything of it until last week myself. My son is dating a, a girl, and he's like, I want to show her your film. And uh, all right, so I put it on. I hadn't looked at it in seven years, and I just sat down and watched it. And I'm like, you know. It really wasn't that bad. I mean, I would have changed a couple of lines here and there, maybe directed a scene a little differently. But you know what? I did the best I could. I thought it came out well. But that's life, you know, in this yeah. business. No, it was great. Um, and oh, so you and um, Jason wrote that. And so, yes. um, and then I also, of course, you wrote the Sidemen together as another project. So yep. I was just kind of wondering, do you guys have like um, similar music taste or were you just friends? Or you guys just work well together or kind of what's the dynamic? You know, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, 
that's another sort of incredible story that, um, you know, it has its beginnings in when I left Wall Street, wrote Perfect Age of Rock and Roll. I, I wrote and rewrote it for two years. And again, like I said to you before, I didn't expect anything to come of it. It was just an exercise in, you know, finishing the discipline of writing a screenplay, a real screenplay, not just, the, you know, notes or an outline. And... I was essentially a new screenwriter. I had taken screenwriting classes. Of course, I was a journalism major, always a writer, but screenwriting is a, an animal unto itself. So it took me a while to get the script into a decent screenplay shape. And that point, I had a bunch of different writers in L.A. kind of mentoring me, you know, really basically telling me how bad I, I am. <laughs> now I have to do a rewrite. But, it, you know, it's that's how you, you grow. And I was lucky to have a couple of mentors who were pretty um, hard on me and, and rightfully so. And it, it causes you to have to focus and, and learn and, and be better. So went through that process a whole bunch. You know, a couple of fits and starts with production, which is, you know, always the case. And in the midst of that uncertainty I, I was uh, asked by Spike Lee to be his apprentice wow. on a film he was making he had seen the short film uh, that Jason and I had made that was a prelude to Perfect Age and then we were, we were able to get him the script and he, he kind of took me under his wing there for a minute and said hey you know before we do this come with me we're going to Italy it was uh, the filming of Miracle at St. Anna and I had a great opportunity to uh, to really spend three months on set in Italy watching him make a, you know a major film yeah learned so much and then came back and uh, knew that Perfect Age needed a rewrite Jason and I had made the short film and had the beginnings of our creative working relationship together and he knew I was unhappy with the, the shape of the script and he and I had never sat down on it together. And he said, you know what, let's take two weeks. If you don't like what we do together, you can throw it out. But, you know, it's, um, you know, no harm, no foul. And really we sat down and started writing the rewrite of perfect age. And it just all flowed. It was great. It was for me, it was a breath of fresh air, hmm. a fresh perspective. And, you know, 10 years later, we've had a lot of creative collaborations and it's, um, it is one of those things, you know, that you always hope for as a, an artist to find somebody that you connect with. As far as your question about were we into the same music? Absolutely not. I mean, <laughs> he comes from, not that I didn't love the music that he's into and, and that's what we bonded over which is like more hardcore uh, industrial we, mm. we, we bonded over Marilyn Manson because that was sort of the impetus for the, the spider character in Perfect right. Age of Rock and Roll was sure. like a Manson Alice Cooper um, David Johansson you know glam rock with industrial edge and that's really where Jason comes from he has had many bands in New York City that are, are of that ilk and really terrific bands and um, when I was looking for the music and the musician for, for Coda which was the prelude to, to Perfect Age it was kind of a, some excerpted material Jason and I Jason was introduced to me and we, we talked and he volunteered his band to um, perform in the in the short as this kind of big Nine Inch Nails Marilyn Manson set piece hmm. and then he also uh, in condition of doing that for me giving me the band and the song he said you know I want to be uh, play the role of Spider which was pretty interesting for me it was the very first thing I ever directed 
Yeah, that was the beginning of it. And yeah, we, we have had a great uh, collaboration since. Yeah, I actually went to see if I could find Coda, and I couldn't find it to rent. Otherwise, I would have picked it up. You know, it's so <laughs> funny. I, I was thinking because we, we've we been talking about this lately, and he and I were together and talking about Coda. I, I have the DVDs probably sitting right next to me somewhere. And it's nowhere. I mean, we never put it up. I should just. I'm half embarrassed because it's like my film school sort of uh, film. It was, uh, I'd been uh, advised by a, a good friend, a great doc filmmaker. When I left Wall Street, he, I, I said, should I go back to film school? He said, you know, for the same money, you could probably make a short film and uh, learn a lot more in a shorter period of time. And, wow. you know, at that point I was in my early 30s. I wasn't really inter- interested in going back into the classroom so sure <laughs> that's what i did and uh yeah i, I should put it up <laughs> it's, it's got some moments but it's definitely a, a first film uh-huh. for sure but, i kind of uh, just you know in my research i try to i try to learn as much as i can about everything so that was <laughs> no, i appreciate that yeah no it's it's uh that's admirable. You, you need to be um, as a journalist. I mean, even uh, you face the same thing just doing interviews, like in the case of Sidemen, with so many different musicians that you know, um, but there's always you know more to know, and you want to you know be able to talk to them and have have the subject know that you you know the, their material. So I appreciate that, and I empathize. I know how hard it is. And so in Perfect Age, um, obviously you had Hubert Pinetop and uh, Big Eyes in there. Did you mm-hmm. specifically write those guys in for that? And was that kind of like, you know, the seeds of seed, uh, Sidemen? Or did mm-hmm. you just kind of come up with a scene and go, well, I need some blues guys, and then start looking around to see who was kind of out no, there? No, no. That's one of the amazing things. And I guess if you look at this whole process in its entirety, it, you know, certain things are meant to be and you know here we are sitting i don't know 10 years since we shot that scene in perfect yeah. age and obviously now simon's out um and so much has flowed from that that experience and really what happened was when jason and i were doing the rewrite as i described before and we were just uh, changing the narrative condensing characters all kinds of stuff was going on and he suggested a a scene as they're going across country where they stop into a, like a juke joint. And I, you know, knew the blues stuff intimately. See, this is where Jason comes more from an industrial hard rock scene, uh-huh. uh, more from, you know, classic rock and blues and discover the blues through, you know, the, the classic rock artists, particularly the British invasion. So yeah. it, again, it goes back to the creative collaboration and talked about that with Jason and it just kind of, coalesced and I had specifically written in Hubert Pinetop huh. Willie I believe I had put uh, James Cotton to play the harp oh. and um, I forgot who I had uh, put down uh, who I had written in the script to play bass but when we approached their booking agent Hugh Southern who really managed most of those guys and, uh, and booked them in various live performances He's he put that band together essentially. I mean, he got us Willie Pine and hmm. um, Hubert, and he said, you know, Cotton's not available, but Sugar Blue is. Would you like him? And of, of course, I mean, <laughs> Sugar Blue is the guy that played uh, with the Rolling Stones on those incredible late '70s, early '80s tracks. It was hmm. amazing. And then they brought in Robert Stroger, and the band was 
was formed and they couldn't have been better. They all said, yes, you know, you reach out to actors for roles and whatnot. And it's sometimes they don't respond or they don't care or whatever. Yeah. These guys were phenomenal. They were oh. in from the word go and then spending a day on set filming that scene. Cause it took a day and it was a, an incredible day, very pressure packed, very hot hmm. late uh, July day um and and they were just you know not a complaint they sat there you know it's a long shoot day 12 plus hours you know it's not as as smooth and glamorous as it looks on screen you're doing take after take and there's no air conditioning it was really incredible and uh just spending lunch hour with them talking to them about these firsthand stories of all these you know mythical figures to me you know robert johnson i mean pine top had firsthand experiences with Robert Johnson, but yet hmm. you think of Robert Johnson almost as this Greek myth. Right. It just really <laughs> didn't exist. It's just part of this incredible folklore. So just getting these accounts from them about Muddy and Wolf and John Lee Hooker and Little Walter and I mean, on and on and on and all these stories about their upbringing. I just was inspired to what I wanted to do is really make a, a last Waltz style celebration concert. Hmm. of them as the core band and try to bring in all the classic rock and blues players that, you know, have made that part of their, their repertoire, whether it be the Stones or the Doors or Led Zeppelin and on and on, as everybody knows. Yeah. Um, that was the, the original intent. But, um, you know, certainly as a new filmmaker, I didn't have the the reach to be able to pull that off or the, or the budget to pull that off. So our, our theory was to kind of do it in parts because Hugh was putting the guys out on the road using the perfect age of rock and roll as their name. And which he had asked, is that fine? I said, of course, you know, if they need something that could help sort of galvanize the, the, the package and they could, you know, book gigs. And I said, let's just film the concerts and try to get guests in whatever city. So bring the concert to them. Yeah. And we managed to do uh, three or four shows, mostly in California. So between San Francisco, LA and San Diego, we got a few of those kind of dream pairings in case of like Robbie Krieger is, is, is primary in that example of him playing Backdoor Man and Little Red Rooster with Hubert, who, sure. of course, played it originally with Wolf, and I discovered it through the doors. But then to put them together, that was the pinnacle of the idea. It was going to unfold slowly, but as, as you know from watching the film and being a fan, they all passed away in 2011. So yeah. that kind of turned the last Waltz concept on its head. And, uh, you know, it took a long time to, to figure out what to do or even if it was right to do anything, quite frankly, um, with the material. But it's pretty, it was pretty clear that we had something special. They were into it. And now it just kind of heightened the mission even more now that they passed to do something that, that really uh, honored everything that they were about. You know, because on one hand, and I said it earlier, you feel like everybody knows about the blues impact on rock and roll. But I think if people know it, they know it generally. But when you really lay it out there, as we tried to do in Sidemen and say, hey, you know, the Rolling Stones played this song and it was seminal to their, you know, early years. And right. the Doors did this song. And 
Led Zeppelin. And, you know, I think it kind of, I hope anyway, it did what we intended, which is really highlight it and show the the importance of of what these guys did and the importance of the blues and, of course, its uh, place in American history. So when you went around to get the interviews um, with, like, Darren and Susan and Greg and Warren and all those guys, um, when you uh, when you approached them, what was their response? Was it like, um, it, it, just specifically because it was those guys, were they kind of like, oh, hell yeah, I'm on board, or finally? or? <laughs> yeah, um, I would say nearly, nearly, well, 100%. You know, I'm saying 100% because I was able to achieve beyond my wildest dreams. When I first sat down to do this, I'd written a list of probably 100 10 if I remember <laughs> dream performers that I wanted and I got a lot of them in, in the end and it is all a testament to Willie Pine and Hubert and the blues in general that once they saw you know a, a clip and they saw who it was about most artists were you know very willing to do it um, the challenge for me was was getting to them that took some time because again like I said I didn't really have a lot of connections that were able to communicate what the film was about. And, um, you know, these artists are busy, their managers are busy, so it's tough to get through the noise. But uh-huh. once I, I met a few people who were able to explain it directly, almost everybody that was asked participated if they were able to. And, hmm. uh, again, a, a real testament to the love that they all have for Willie Pine and Hubert. I mean, yeah. I was just at the, the Bowie celebration show in New York last night. Yeah, I saw your post and, on that. That was cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and just like getting to meet Charlie Sexton. I mean, I was blown away. But yeah, and the guys got incredible Pine Top stories. You know, huh. it's like their their impact is so far and wide, and and they're just how how great they were and how great it was to be with them. Everybody just lights up when they, when they talk about them, if, if they had the good fortune to know. Yeah, they're really incredible players. And, uh, and it comes through in the documentary, just how like sincere and humble and, um, just fantastic people they were, you know, at least that's, that's what I get out. Yeah. I I appreciate that. You know, it was a real challenge because, you know, as a journalist, you're taught, you know, when you're doing a story, fair and balanced, and you want to remain impartial. But we were so close to those guys that when we were doing the editing, I just wanted to make sure that not only did I capture who they were, and it was really a, a desire to have people, you know, have a feeling as if they got to sit with these guys and talk to them for a little bit, uh-huh. but then also to do it, to paint the, a balanced picture. You know, it, it wasn't always pretty. They weren't always the best behaved you know they weren't <laughs> angels and and they wouldn't want you to believe that so um that was a challenge but i'm glad that that came through because um, they were just so you know endearing and when you were interviewing those uh those three and kind of following them around um did you okay. kind of run into some other um blues guys or or guys that um i guess were kind of still kicking around at the time from the old days yeah, I was telling the story last night to my friend as we went to that show. Um, Honey Boy Edwards was a real heartbreaker for me. Um, mm. We had um, booked flights and, and secured gear and, and insurance for the gear and everything to fly to Chicago to interview him for the film in December of 2010. 
Hmm. And right as we were about to leave for the airport, his manager called that he, he'd gotten sick and had to go into the hospital and, you know, we'd have to reschedule. And we were disappointed, of course, but it was obviously he, he was up there in years. It was a concern and uh, wasn't doing well. We tried it again in January and he got sick again. And, and oh, man. Honey Boy, as you know, he too died in 2011. So many of them uh, all went in, in one yeah. year. So, you know, Honey Boy was one that I would have really liked to have gotten um, his perspective. Hmm. Uh, he was so, you know, such a great storyteller right to the end. So that, wow. that's a disappointment. But yeah, of course, run into many of the artists um, along the way and, and so many of them all they all played together in so many different bands or through the course of history it was um it was great to see you know and so i know um mark Marin is pretty deep in the blues and plays guitar how did you end yeah. up choosing him or how did he end up getting involved with the project as well well jason is a big podcast guy and ah. um turned me on to to Marin's podcast and was listening to it for I guess a couple of years by that point and you hear enough of his interviews with musicians and he mentions the blues and it's he mentions basically the the whole narrative of our film and is, is a big preacher in the impact of the blues and would talk about Hubert by name so again Hubert's a sideman um, unless you're really into it you're not going to know Hubert's name. Right. Um, and Marin always was so knowledgeable about Hubert's contribution and his relationship and role all spanned. And so when it came down to making a short list and trying to find a narrator for the film, you know, like so many other things that we tried to do in the film, we tried to make different choices. So it didn't come out like every other blue stock that I have on my, my DVD shelf, which <laughs> They're great, yeah. but we wanted to try something different to hopefully, you know, broaden the audience mm -hmm. um, who might not be into blues. Um, and, you know, we reached out to a couple of people and we were able to connect with Marin, um, who, again, responded because, you know, it was a film about Hubert and those guys. And uh, we were already in South by Southwest and we didn't have the narrator yet. Mm -hmm. And... Matt, we reached Marin like early in like January of that year. The festival's in March. Scheduled it very quickly to record his uh, voiceover narration. Got it in there. Basically, it felt like you know getting the film on the hard drive and running onto the plane to get to South by. It was, you know, it was almost that close. But uh, he was great and has been so supportive all the way through. Mentioning it on different podcasts when we had you know some big events whether it's the theatrical release or the you know the festivals and things so right. very grateful for, for his participation as well so um i guess the only thing i kind of have left is uh what's next for you what else are you working on or uh what other projects are, are going to be coming up for you yeah that's, that's a good question there's um because everything in this business seems to you know, have a mind of its own and yeah. takes its uh, its own time. So I've written several screenplays, um, narrative screenplays, that I'd certainly love to get back and do a narrative feature film. But, you know, they're difficult to get uh, off the ground. But there are some scripts yeah. circulating around and, you know, fingers crossed as always. 
a lot of music videos of late, it seems. And cool. um, one really interesting project that I just finished the, uh, two days ago, um, this poet from California, Noah Lekas, uh, is releasing a poetry book. Oh, wow. um, and the artist Alan Forbes, I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work, he did the graphics for the Black Crows, for instance. I think he did the original Black Crows um, logo oh, okay. and so sure. many of their, their concert posters and so many bands, the Misfits, um, the Dead. Just incredible artist had agreed, because Noah's work was so fantastic, agreed to do the book cover art. And then Noah, in turn, um, asked five filmmakers to do a piece uh, to a spoken word poem. He was going to choose five poems from the book. And so the, uh, he reached out to me uh, based on having seen Sidemen, which is pretty gratifying uh, to do one of those. And I just finished it um, this week and they're going to be using uh, my short film for the PR release um, of, the, of, the, of the book. So oh, I'll send awesome. you that. Yeah. yeah. I'll send you that when they release it. It really came out great. So, just uh, really trying to find the most interesting projects I can and uh, keep making films and definitely have another blues doc that I'm in the midst of, not something that I had anticipated after Sidemen, but this kind of fell on my lap. Very interesting story, which I'm looking forward to finishing that. We're doing a, a short because I don't think I have the wherewithal right now to do another fully blues doc, but... Uh, mm interesting story nonetheless and one that i, I just felt compelled to, to have to do well that kind of covers uh everything that i was kind of curious about um the only other thing i'll ask is what uh i guess who are you listening to or, or what are you into now as far as music besides you know all the old stuff the good blue stuff is there anybody new that you like yeah it's interesting um you mentioned that because as part of that poetry project that I was talking about, Noah introduced me to a couple of great bands from Southern California that I really hadn't, I heard the names of some of them, but mm. hadn't really listened to them. And those are the guys that are doing the backing track for all of his five um, spoken word poetry pieces. Oh, cool. And, you know, I got to hang with them. I went out there to shoot um, the recording a couple of weeks ago of, of the the music for the piece that I was going to make the film for. So I, I felt it was essential to film that process for the video. I thought it would be a cool thing to see. Yeah, and I got to hang out with them. And these are guys in, um, the, the bands are Howlin' Rain, um, Mrs. Henry, and Creature in the Woods. And they're all kind of a, a group of musicians that go in and out of the, these bands. And they're fantastic, fantastic oh. players. And uh, yeah, so that was another real incredible benefit of doing that project just to get to hang out with these musicians and discover these these new bands so yeah. um just amazing all of them they the, the band the mrs henry band just did a, a tribute to the last waltz and oh, uh, wow. they posted it online yeah you should check it out they posted the soundcloud of the entire show the quality of the musicianship i was just as a last waltz you know devotee i mean i was blown away so it was great to to meet them and watch them perform so wow. yeah those three bands are probably the newest bands at least newest to me um and they're super talented and i gotta say i've, I've always been a huge tom petty fan and you know certainly having lost him recently yeah, that's um I, I listened to his um radio program on 
Sirius XM. He fortunately had done about 11 or 12 seasons of that uh, buried treasure show. Yeah. And I, I just seem to keep going to that partly to hear his voice and also just his, his wisdom on music. You're hearing the entire history of music and he kind of guides you through it. I, I just, I'm really, I dig that, especially when I'm writing and working. That yeah. seems to always be on. I absolutely cannot thank Scott enough for taking the time to talk to me about Sidemen. Without his film, a lot of people would have missed out on the tremendous contributions Pine Top, Big Eyes, and Hubert made to the world of music. If you haven't yet seen the film, it's available at retailers like Amazon and also available on iTunes. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.